Hi, you're listening to Conversations with A&J. I'm Alicia. I'm a licensed esthetician who suffered from for years with severe periods and finally learned it was a large fibroid. Now it is a now as it is removed, I'm refocusing on my coaching business. And I'm Jess, a 38-year-old endometriosis and thyroid disease warrior, former osteomate and dedicated theater and dance educator in the Chicagoland area. And we are your hosts. This week, we are bringing you episode seven, Diet Culture Vultures, a conversation about disordered eating, its lifelong effects, and how diet culture is masking itself as health. And we have a special guest with you this week, my very good friend, Kristen Sothier. I am so excited for you guys to meet her, but before we dive in, just a couple of disclaimers. We do not edit out our bad words, so listener discretion is advised. Also, information shared on this podcast should not be viewed as medical advice. As always, any information shared is for general knowledge. Only anyone who is experiencing medical or mental health crisis should speak with a medical provider directly. Listening to this podcast does not establish a client-patient relationship. So now let's step into diet culture vultures. Hi, Kristen. Hi. Welcome. Thank you. We are so excited to have you here, and um, you know everybody knows all about Alicia and I. So why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are? Tell our listeners. Yeah, I'm so happy to be here. I have listened to your podcast, and you guys are doing incredible work. So honestly, thank you so much for what you're doing out there. Um, so yeah, I'm a registered dietitian. Uh, I specialize in the treatment of eating disorders and disordered eating. Um, I utilize a health at every size, intuitive eating, weight inclusive, and body acceptance practice. And I have been in private practice for myself for about a year year and a half currently. Um, And yeah, like I said, I have worked for, well, I've worked with eating disorders for, oh my gracious, um, going on close to 10 years now, I have worked within almost all levels of care, including partial hospitalization level of care, or PHP, um, intensive outpatient, and the outpatient setting, which is what I currently do now. Okay. Very good. Um, So kind of like, how did you get started down this? I, so I got started, oh goodness, um, where to start? I mean, I really, I got started doing this kind of coming off of feeling really icky about, um, feeling really icky about my schooling, but kind of, right? Because I was, um, I went to nutrition school, as I tell people, and I was trained in the kind of conventional paradigm that supported the idea that there's one specific weight range that is correct correct mm. and that there is one specific way to eat um and one specific way to achieve that weight range and also achieve health mm. in air quotes see what i'm doing um you know i do fully disclose to my clients that i have never myself struggled with a diagnosed eating disorder um, but as I said, I did go to nutrition school and <laughs> again, it was very much eat this, not that weigh this, not that. But the way that I really, um, got started was again, like through my own history, I, when I passed the exam to become a registered dietitian, I was pregnant with my daughter who is now 10. Um, and I was working for a local WIC program. Um, I, I felt at that time, and I received the message from diet culture that in order to be the best, um, dietitian mom that I could be, that meant that I had to feed my daughter, um, in such a way that modeled health. Right. And then interestingly enough, by proxy, that also made me a better parent. I'm going to use, I'm going to be obnoxiously use a ton of air quotes here. I know the listeners can't see, but I will, (laughs) I will try and make my voice so that people can tell that I'm using air quotes. But again, um, so because of that, I did, I did all the things, right. I became very particular about what she, she ate, um, and how it was prepared. I made sure she was fed according to my, my standards when she was in someone else's hair you know, et cetera. She didn't ever, like, we never had things like, um, 
you know, juice or soda or other fun foods because I believed that they were not healthy for her. And so I didn't purchase them, nor did I ever have them in our house. I, you know, and I, I made sure, <laughs> like, there's a lot of like face palm moments right here as I'm kind of walking through this, but I, I did label things as, as junk food, unquote junk food or healthy food. And I really made sure that she knew the difference so that she could understand why mommy chose to feed her in the way that I did. And interestingly enough, over the years, right, I received a ton of praise. The way that I parented her, people would be like, oh my God, your daughter is, your, your kids eat so healthy. I wish my kids ate like that. And really it became part of my identity. I was the, the healthy mom who really um, made sure that my, my kids had the, you know, the access to the best nutrition available. And, you know, I do have to pause here and really acknowledge my own privilege about, you know, and my ability to feed her the way that I wanted to um, and chose her. I did have the financial means at that time and the time available kind of to cook homemade meals and things like that uh, or to buy the more expensive foods that I deemed healthier and I didn't have to worry about the money. But regardless, that's kind of how I chose to feed Leah, my daughter. Um, However, it did come to full circle to bite me in the ass eventually because my, when she entered kindergarten, kindergarten, first grade, things kind of started to change. She started saying like, hey, no, um, so Paige has fruit by the foot in her lunch. Can I, can I have fruit by the foot? In my, and I'd be like, oh no, we do not eat that stuff because that is, you know, we don't eat that. That is unhealthy and we eat healthy foods, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, you can really imagine how that ended up, right? Like, so picture, you know, any birthday party or any, you know, uh, class party where mom was not present, right? Um, I, you know, she would be, you know, I'd find her downing as much juice as she could um, or as much soda, um, you know, b basically binge eating or drinking anything that she could because she did not know when she was going to have access to that stuff again. Mom didn't allow it. And it seemed there was probably some, when it was a party that I was present at, I, I imagine, I guess I don't know this for sure, but I imagine there was a lot of like, uh, conflict on her end too. Like I'm not supposed, supposed to eat this stuff, but yet all the other people here are eating it. Mom's over there. What's she going to say? I'm going to have it anyway. You know, I mean, she's headstrong, so thank goodness. Um, but yeah, so it was, so I came to recognize that she was not, I, you know, anyway, so I, a few years or actually a couple of years ago, I kind of stumbled across Christy Harrison's podcast food psych and, um, you know, kind of the way that she practiced and, and the health at every size and the, you know, weight normative and, um, you know, talking about diet culture and like my mind was blown. Right. And the more research I did into health at every size, the more I really took a look at my own, <laughs> my own biases to say the least. And I really realized what I had been creating, um, with regards to my daughter's relationship with food. Um, and so, you know, thankfully I got my shit together pretty quickly and realized that like, you know what, in the name of health, Kristen, you are really creating a disordered relationship between her and her and food, first of all. And second of all, it could really potentially, you know, move into a disordered relationship between herself and her body. If she then ever makes the connection uh, between food and its impact on the body or not, um, you know, so, <laughs> so I reeled myself in and I started, and it was uncomfortable, but I started you know, buying all of the foods and all of the things that were, you know, um, humanized and not allowed in my household. And I watched my daughter transition from, you know, a kind of all last supper mentality around food and the fun, the fun food, right? Especially to a really intuitive way of eating, right? So you know, pre uh, my own revelation, it was, I would go to the drive-thru to, you know, to get like a coffee 
and Leah would be, oh my God, can I get a donut? Can I have a colada? Can I please like anything, you know? And I'm like, no, you know, because mm-hmm. it's not the time or we don't do or whatever it is. Right. I would say no, 99% of the time. And now, right. Like now I go to the drive through and I ask her, I'm like, Hey, do, Leah, do you want anything from Dunks? And she's like, um, do they have any Boston cream donuts? No, they don't have any Boston cream. What do you want? Uh, I'm good. I'm fine. So she's now able to rely on um, introspective awareness and her own intuition as to what do I feel like, what do I want versus, well, shit, I, I, if I can get the donut, I don't know when she's going to offer me a donut next. So I better get all the donuts and I just, I don't know. I, I don't care if they have the one that I like or don't like. Like I better do that. So that that and then finding uh, you know the health at every size community uh intuitive eating and that kind of thing really made me take a hard look at what i was doing and how i was practicing um that's really kind of how i transitioned to dietitian that i am now there you go i mean it's so interesting that you you say that because you and i have had so many conversations because you've been helping me obviously through my health stuff but i feel like there is so much actual schooling that is provided to people with this black and white mentality, right? And it kind of perpetuates, again, this is where we came up with the title for this week's and next week's episode, Diet Culture Vultures, because it really feels like they're masking themselves as quote unquote health, but they're really just pushing, um, you know, outdated thoughts on what, what is a good food you know, quote unquote, yes. balance, right? Yeah, so totally. interesting. Um, wow. wow, that's just like, it's amazing that that's how you kind of came to, you know, you you were able to kind of reflect on what oh. you were doing in your own life and then how you could help other people. And I'm sure like once you had that, I would say transition moment, like it just opened the doors to how many more people you could actually help, right? It really did, it really did because what I was doing initially, right, was um, perpetuating this idea that like there's a right and a wrong weight and there's a right and a wrong way to eat and just come to me and I will tell you all of the ways, right? Like, ew, gross. Like I'm not, right? And, and that wouldn't, you know, have to imply that I ate that way, right? Which is why and where my own sort of like disordered eating came from initially because I had to at least model what I was preaching, right? I had to eat the kale things and I did, right? <laughs> and then I was like a closet. I didn't binge eat because I always allowed myself, um, you know, access to the things, but I didn't, I didn't proclaim that I ate, you know, Chinese food or pizza or, you know, any of the delicious things that are out there. Like I, I ate my own privacy and like, but I, you know, so uh, and then I realized, like, I'm not alone. And, and it's really, it's not actually the healthier thing yeah. to be telling people, you need to eat this and stay away from that all the time. This is good for you. Excuse me. This is good for you. This is bad for you. So do the good thing. Be a good person. Be a healthy person. You know, ugh, ick, yep. ick. The yeah. thing that sticks out, I think your story is beautiful. Um, and this is the first time I'm hearing it. But um, the good food and bad food in my life turned into good and shame, you know, it was like, and I think shame is such a painful existence and it's so hard to let go of. And so I think it's beautiful that you like are evolving your, your know-how, your business and what a beautiful reason because. I think that's the number one issue I've had in the past with all of my yo-yo dieting and ups and downs at the gym and everything is because mm-hmm. it felt like if I chose differently, I, I like needed to hide myself in shame, you know? Yeah. So I love your thought process of, of letting go of that shame in a way. At least that's how I received it. And I think that's beautiful. Yeah, and you're not alone, right? Because our diet culture really does perpetuate this idea that if you choose to not be healthy, right, then ugh, what are you doing with your life, right? Like before, it, and it's so interesting just to like kind of look back at how diets and things evolved, right? In like the 1980s, 
Um, it was very much don't eat fat, just avoid fat. Everything else is fine, but don't eat fat. We need to count our fat grams, do all the things, and that you know spurred on the evolution of all, you know all these fat-free products. And then you know, 10, 15 years later into the 1990s, 2000s, it was more like, oh, okay, we realize that fat is not actually the enemy. There are healthy fats and unhealthy fats, but it's really carbs. Carbs are the thing that we need, you know? And then, you know, there became the Atkins diet and all these different, you know, things and everything was carb-free or low-carb or that kind of thing. And then in the, you know, most recent, you know, kind of decade or so, it has really morphed into, well, it's not so much about the food specifically, it's, it's the kind of food that you buy, right? Like, it is more or less like if you choose health, if you choose to eat organic, or if you choose non-GMO or, or vegan or whatever it is, right? Like, it's more or less about the um, pursuit of health. And health means clean, means Whole30, it means eliminating all the toxic or whatever. Again, I'm using all these air quotes here um, that your listeners can't see, but, you know, that's really become the diet shore, right, of this um, decade where, you know, we really um, prioritize health and health overall and health equals a thin body, health equals clean eating, uh, health equals zero chronic disease or zero disease at all. Ugh. And, you know, and if you have any of that, well, you should really be working on it. And that is just gross. Like that is not right. Health is not a size. Health is not like a way of eating. Health encompasses so much more than just nutrition. And, and you know, I say this because I don't want to, I don't want to downplay my own importance here, but you know, nutrition is like, like 20% of health, like it is not the end all be all of, you know, um, you know, somebody's holistic health. And, you know, it's just so interesting. We are told so much different health, excuse me, nutrition and your weight. Those are the two, you know, panaceas. And if you kind of master, master or get those under control, you've really got to be like, yeah, because I fed my daughter pretty healthy and she was really like, unstable around any other kind of food other than health. That's healthy, really. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, my own experience too, like because I felt like I had to feed my kids this way or my my family, you know, I got to a point where I was making everything from scratch, right? Like because of course if I can make my own salad dressing, that's gonna be healthier. The salad dressing you buy at the you know that that is processed in some way or that has Mm high fructose corn syrup in it, God forbid, right? And so I'll never forget, it was like a revelation for me where I, <laughs> I, 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 you know, I was making all the things. I made my own bread, I made my own steak. And the, I mean, and I, there came a time where I was like 1130 at night, I was making my own fucking tortillas. Like tortillas, it is not, at night time, I don't have time to be doing this, right? Like, but it's 1130 and I'm making my own tortillas because I cannot put, make my daughter's sandwich on a wrap that is processed, like I've got to make it from scratch. And I'm like, this is the healthier thing. I'm tired. Mm-hmm. I'm pissed. I don't want to do this. Mm-hmm. I got to get up in four hours. Is this really the healthier option? I don't think so. So now it's kind of a running joke between my clients and I. They've all heard that story. And, and you know, whenever they talk about, you know, I got to be healthy. I got to eat the healthier thing. I'm like, yeah, you make your, your own tortillas at 1130 at night. That's really the healthier thing. I'm like, okay. So I just didn't, that whole vision of health, like health, no matter what, you know, kind of just. Yeah. Well, it was interesting that you, you said something about, um, you know, like choosing this food over that. And I think one of the things that I've, cause I, TikTok has been my new favorite friend right now. Right. <laughs> I found a woman who's very into haze, which I love. Right. And so she, I think I might've sent you one of her. I really enjoyed her. I checked her out. Yeah, she's really cool. The other day where she like gave information about health at every size. And she's a, she's a woman of, who is thin. And so she yeah. posted a reaction to this because she said, this is what thin privilege is. And she said, I explained something. And then another person who is in a larger body verbatim explained the same thing on their TikTok page. And the amount of people that criticized her and said that, you know, you're, you're just, this because you're large, like blah, blah, oh. blah. 
And, you know, so she was referencing that. She goes, that is what thin privilege is. Like you don't get to, I don't get to promote health at every size in a thinner body. And then someone who is in a larger body, who's, who's living the same way I am and is enjoying the same freedoms when it comes to food. You don't get to criticize that person if we're saying the, literally the exact same stuff. Yes. So that's, that's, that's a hard part because it, that goes back to kind of like what Alicia was saying, like there comes a moment of shame when you're like, I just could have ate better or I should have made a decision. And it, you know, you, you kind of always beat yourself up and then not to, sorry, listeners, not to always reference TikTok. I saw this other one where there's a woman who's a larger body and she's like, I'm seven months pregnant. And today I was craving Taco Bell. And she said, the problem that I have is that I was eating Taco Bell and then my, my coworker who is thin, who is pre pregnant is on her like fourth Big Mac of the week. And someone said to her, good for you for eating. You, you need to follow. Uh, and then someone looked at her and goes, uh, better choices for your baby. Uh, it was, uh, yes. Oh. Like, you know, so that was those kind of things. Like, you know, you see people using platforms for good, but again, it's this good versus evil, right? Like yes. you have taught me that all food is good. All food. Like all food is good, right? Like it's food. It's supposed, it's meant to be enjoyed. It's meant to be experienced. Like we're not supposed to be having this horrible, like obviously horrible relationship with food, which stems back for centuries. Right. So I don't know that a lot of our listeners will probably understand or comprehend what disordered eating is because a lot of people think eating disorders or disordered eating are for a certain type of person. Mm -hmm. So could you talk to us a little bit about maybe your own personal definition of what disordered eating is or help us understand it a little bit better? Yes. So it's a really good question. It's so interesting because it can be fairly, fairly straightforward-ish when you're diagnosing or talking about a full-blown eating disorder, right? But there's more subtle forms of disordered eating that can be trickier to diagnose. Um, you know, so it's really no surprise that our culture has um, an incredibly unhealthy obsession, to say the least, with size, weight, diet, and exercise. Um, you know, so I really describe disordered eating as any type of plan or schedule or regimen with the intention of achieving a certain weight, shape, or size that also interferes with your life in some capacity. Now, I do want to put a little aside here that says kind of like, with the exception of weight restoration as a means of recovery from your eating disorder, I get that that impacts your life and you are trying to achieve a certain weight, shape, or size but that's not what I'm talking about here. And you know, a great example of disordered eating is my own personal story, right? And so funny because again, I mean, I went anywhere and everywhere, right? My child's pediatrician, my own, you know, workplace, everybody's like, wow, you do such a great job. And I'm like, I know I am <laughs> whatever I am. And again, that really gave me personal um, motivation and felt like I had a sense of power and morality, right? Like I can do this thing that like, well, not everybody can do, but yet I'm hurting my child in the same way. Like gross. So anyway, that's sort of an example of disordered eating. Um, as far as eating disorders and diagnosable eating disorders go, I don't know if you want me to talk a little bit about that briefly um, or if it's more or less just kind of disordered eating. Um, I think mention, I, I feel yeah when I say this, mention it all, right? Mention it all. I'll go into it all. Yeah. So there's, I mean, there's four major categories of eating disorders. There's anorexia nervosa, bulimia nervosa, binge eating disorder, and then there is the otherwise specified feeding and eating disorders, which is kind of a, I'll, I'll explain, it's kind of a catch-all. Um, so anorexia nervosa is a disorder where um, restriction of food intake and preoccupation with thinness leads to excessive weight loss. Um, the individual typically has an intense fear of gaining weight and as well, um, as well as a distorted body image. Something that is very important, I always put this pause point here, um, it is very important to know that people of all sizes can have anorexia. People of all sizes who do not have to be on the quote unquote underweight form of the BMI, whatever, right? You do not have to look like you have sustained weight loss. Anybody of any size can have anorexia and they can experience the same 
symptoms of anorexia as people in smaller bodies, such as loss of a menstrual cycle, uh, GI disturbances, you know, osteopenia, you know, hair falling out, like all the things, abnormal labs and so on. So that's really an important piece that I really like to, you don't have to look like you have anorexia to have anorexia, right? Um, bulimia nervosa involves frequent episodes of binge eating, um, almost always followed by purging in some form, um, as well as intense feelings of guilt or shame. Um, I, I describe binge eating um, as kind of a total loss of control and or presence with or over your eating experience. So some people kind of are like, I'm not even here when this is happening. Like, I feel like I'm having kind of an out of body experience. It is not something that I'm feeling like in control of or even present for. Um, so that's bulimia nervosa. Then there's binge eating disorder, which is one of the most common forms of an eating disorder out there. So binge eating disorder involves experiences of binge eating, like I was just describing before, followed again by feelings of guilt, shame, and depression. And this is another place, big place, where we see weight stigma coming into play in a big way, right? As many people assume that if you were in a larger body, you must binge eat. You must be a binge eater. And conversely, if you're in a smaller body, you must not binge eat. You must actually restrict your food. And again, this is another important place to serve as a reminder that body size is not always indicative of an eating disorder or which type of eating disorder somebody might have, right? And the, the clients that I see with binge eating disorder reside in all different body sizes from the smallest to the large, like there is no, you know, so that's a really important point to make. Um, and then the last one is other specified feeding or eating disorders. Um, this was also previously known as eating disorder, not otherwise specified. You know, it does not receive the same amount of research and attention as the other three do, but it is a serious life-threatening eating disorder um, despite that. This category was kind of created to encompass those individuals that didn't meet the strict criteria, you know, for um, the strict diagnostic criteria for anorexia or bulimia, but that still have a significant eating disorder. And again, binge eating disorder and otherwise specified feeding and eating disorders, we also call that OSFED for short, um, they are the two most common eating disorders out there. Yeah. Which is just so crazy because, like, I think what you said, like, the biggest point we need to and our listeners we hope that you hear this that your body size doesn't help in a diagnosis right and so if you do go say to your primary care or general practitioner and you might be thinking to yourself again remember that none of the stuff that we talk about here is helping you with the diagnosis but if you're thinking oh some of these things are are um, resonating with you or they're triggering you to think about your own relationship with food you have to remember that sometimes, right, when you do present to a doctor and you ask this, yeah. such limited knowledge in that, that it, they could dismiss it very easily. You know, Alicia and I, we've both been told to just control our eating to help us with symptoms that we were experiencing. Um, you know, Alicia was told, just try Weight Watchers. Oh, God. Um, and in dairy-free, like, you know, so we have, we have to be careful. So, um, when you, when you hear these things, I think it is, and I, it may be wrong for me to say that, but it's a comfort in hearing that it's, you know, just because you don't fit a certain picture, you don't look like the Lifetime movie or, you know, the documentary that you saw on Netflix physically in your body that you don't, right. can't, you don't possibly have any of these things, right? right? Um, and again, that's just one of the things that is pre, like, conceived that you have to be you know, skeleton thin to be anorexic. If you're a binge eater, you are on my 600 pound life, right? Yeah, like, exactly. It's, 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 it's an either or. It's always, for some people, very black and white, which yep. is just crazy, you know? Um, I don't know. Alicia, did you have anything to add on, on that? Because we both experienced that kind of, so. Interesting what you're talking about with size doesn't matter, whatever the disorder is, really, is what I'm hearing. Because yes. The first one, like, um, so I, I train with a personal trainer 
And after a few months, he was asking me about like my eating habits and all of that. And he, and I was like, yeah, I think I eat healthy. You know, like, I think that's a normal response people give. Like, I think I'm good. Like, I don't know. Yeah. And um, so he's like, just track your food for a week, just for a week. <laughs> he looked at what I was eating. He's like, Alicia, you are not eating enough food. Oh, like, interesting. Poor little body. Like, and I think part of that was growing up in an area of like good and bad. Yes. So like, uh, you should maybe always feel a little bit of hunger. So just drink more water. And so like, <laughs> to retrain myself on understanding when yeah. I'm, when I'm satisfied and in between, but like, honestly, like it's, it's interesting. Cause that's definitely, I mean, there was like two days in a row that he's like, you eat 900 calories. That's not. <gasps> sustainable wow. petition at the time so I was on my feet I was like doing services on people and he's yeah. like you need to like like you can't be afraid of what is on your plate wow saying about like intuitive eating because I had a conversation with him because I don't know if you know this person but um her, I think her name is Mel Wells but she has a book about intuitive eating as well mm -hmm. And so I remember telling him like a year or so ago, I was like, that's my goal. My dream is just to like be able to intuitively eat. Like, I don't want to write down what I'm eating all day. I don't want, like, I don't want to associate good and bad because I internalize that as Alicia, you're bad. You're wrong. Mm. Like you're making mistakes and you're paying for it, you know? And so I love intuitive eating concepts because I think it means that you're just dwelling and you're experiencing life and you're not worried about the negative connotation of like an extra scrambled egg. Like even an extra scrambled egg, people are like, what, you had three scrambled eggs for breakfast? Like, <laughs> that's too much, you know, like stuff like that, right. you know? Right. And right. it's interesting what you talk about with that st stigma of have size associated with food disorder. Cause I don't think people would look at me normally and be like, she, like they would probably think I binge eat or I only eat at fast food restaurants. And I remember one time crying and being like, you probably think that I'm like totally lying about what I'm eating, but I'm not, I promise you, like, I don't eat fast food right now, you know? And that's just, I wasn't eating it, you know? And so I love what I'm learning from you because I think, I think I'm going to like make you be my friend and then <laughs> you will be friends all for the rest of the, our, our lives. I love it. No. Yeah. Learn and you know, I have to, I, I seriously have to give your personal trainer like so much credit because when you said to me, my personal trainer had me write down everything I ate for a week. I was like, Oh, mm -hmm. fuck. like what happened? Oh my gracious. How did he or she critique? But then you said, that they said, you're not eating nearly enough. And I was like, oh, thank God, because that is not the typical response from, you know, I mean, and there's so many times when um, people kind of step outside of their scope, right, and really, um, you know, try to offer this sort of <laughs> individualized, but very blanket, you know, statement kind of um, nutrition information and nutrition advice. And I'm just so thankful that you had somebody that was, you know, willing and able to say like, honey, you're, you've got to feed yourself. Like this is, you need to eat more. Like what, you're not going to be okay. I'm, I'm worried about, you know, like rather than, you know, if they perceive you as in a larger body and believe that maybe, you know, you want to change or, or what, whatever saying, okay, well, this should do it. Like, keep it, ugh, you know, like, I'm just so, I, I'm, I'm so thankful. Cause that really could have, you know, for you or for anybody else in the situation, right. That could have been the turning point. That could have been the beginning of someone's eating disorder, you know, yeah. if they, they had said, well, okay, you really could, you know, eat this differently here, or you could really tighten it up over here, you know, like, and that just happens too, too often. And so, oh, I'm so thankful that that was not your experience and that you yeah. had, um, yeah. Mm. Yeah. 
which is just so crazy. Cause like I had, we, Alicia and I've had that conversation. I also had a trainer. Um, I had joined a gym called orange theory fitness and they had, they used to have what they called the weight loss challenge. Mm -hmm. And then they call, they changed it to the transformation challenge. Mm -hmm. Um, and then they changed it to the wellness challenge. So obviously they were, they had their finger on the pulse of buzzwords that should and shouldn't be used in the healthcare industry, things like that. Um, but my coach has always been, she's a good friend of mine. She's going to, we're both going to have our trainers on the show later. Um, but she, we had sat down with my food journal and she said, right. So you have to look at like, cause we, she had used my fitness pal to track me for a week. And because my Apple watch was connected to it, it was also tracking my workouts from orange theory, which on any given day, I was burning between about 850 to 1100 calories, depending on what kind of day. And that's in one, one hour workout. And I was going five to six days a week at that point. And she was like, so you're only eating 1200 calories yeah. a day and you're burning 1100 calories a day. You're mm -hmm. like literally consuming a hundred calories a day to like make your body function and you're teaching dance and you're working all day. Like she was like, you, you should be eating no less than night. Like your smallest amount of food you should intake is 1900 calories. And she's like, and that's not even good for me. Like, because of the activity that I was doing. And that was like the first time for me that someone was like, you need to eat more because like, yeah, you even said you saw how I used to meal prep my foods. Like it was, it, it was all portioned out and it, and it was a lot of food, but like, I still needed to eat more, like, which is why I think, a lot of us who are in larger bodies sometimes stay in those larger bodies because we just do so much damage to ourselves in the form of starvation and yes. that us three could all eat the exact same yes. food, do the exact same workout and all each of us is going to have a different outcome, right? right? Like wholeheartedly. God, people need to know that. And I think that that's the part that- Wholeheartedly, you are absolutely right like I'm on this new journey that you helped me with after all my health stuff. And like, just to like watch some of my friends and loved ones, like be really restrictive on what they eat or what they quote unquote allow themselves to eat. Right. Like, and I have learned that it's not my place to try to like help free them of that. Cause that's kind of that their place that they're in right now. And I have to let them become comfortable, however, but I'm learning, learning things, what to do and not to do. Right. Like, so one of the things that we have talked about, you and I, Kristen, is not like using things like, wow, you've lost so much weight. You look so great, right? Like, because that implies that they weren't good before or how they looked before, right? Um, and so that's hard. But one of the things that I, what Alicia and I have been talking a lot about, and you and I talked about, is this intuitive eating thing, right? Like, and we had talked about, Kristen and I had said something about when, when I first, because I was, I, I didn't have an appetite when I had my surgery and it was just listen to those cues. Like if you wake up at one o'clock in the morning and you're hungry, you need to eat something like, because you're hungry, your body's telling you that. And I, you know, we've been spending a lot of time with my nephew and how much we can learn from a baby, right? Like babies fall asleep when you're rubbing their back. That's why you like when your partner rubs your back, when you're <laughs> but just overgrown babies right so like if a baby wakes up in the middle of the night and they're hungry we don't tell them you need to wait until the morning you cannot break your fast yet you, we feed them great point so so tell our listeners a little bit about intuitive eating because this is something obviously that is something that's a practice it's never 100 percent perfect but tell us about it what is it what can we do like yeah so intuitive eating is a um you know, it's a practice and it is, you know, so it's a self-care kind of eating framework in practice, which honors kind of both physical and mental health, while also really importantly in um, integrating instinct um, and emotion and rational thought, right? So it's a, again, a weight-inclusive evidence-based model, um, you know, and it's validated by, you know, with assessment scales and over a hundred studies, you know, to support it or whatever. So there's, there's 10 sort of major principles for intuitive eating. Um, and I just have to sort of mention too, that like intuitive eating also very much aligns with the health at every size that we will talk about at some point later. Um, but I'm going to explain intuitive eating as it was defined by its creators, um, two dietitians named Evelyn Triboli and Elise Resch. So the principles of intuitive eating 
um, there's 10 of them. So the first one is to reject the diet mentality. And so that basically means to just reject the diet culture messages that promote weight loss, um, as well as the discrimination and bias that we had kind of talked about earlier around weight. Um, you know, so really that is kind of people's first and foremost um, work and job and step in, you know, beginning their intuitive eating journey is to really one, recognize and to reject the diet mentality. Um, and the second principle of intuitive eating is to honor your hunger. You know, so just as you were just saying, you know, like if I wake up at one o'clock in the morning and I'm freaking hungry, you need to honor that. And your body's trying to tell you something and so you need to eat something, right? So this is, and for many too, it may be initially they have to learn to identify this biological, um, you know, signal that their body is given because with some kind of, you know, if with a disturbance in what you're eating or restriction or is any type of an eating disorder, those biological signals can become skewed. And so we need to learn not only to identify this biological need, um, but also to then honor it, right? To allow your body regular and reliable access to what it needs when it, when it asks for it, right? The third principle is to make peace with food, right? And this involves eliminating the whole good food, bad food mentality and offering yourself unconditional. I always, well, I always take their words and say, you need to allow yourself unconditional permission to eat, eat any and all foods. Anything is on the table. <laughs> Anything, right? Like food is food, as you were saying, you know, so like breaking down the rules and allowing yourself unconditional permission and access to eat anything on this planet that you feel is edible, um, you know, is the next sort of step. The fourth uh, principle is to challenge the food police. So that really describes, um, you know, the unreasonable rules around food that diet culture has created, right? And I, I bet we could sit here and come up with all of them. So really to sort of challenge those ideals of that is not healthy, that is bad for your gut, that is bad for your whatever it is, right? Um, the fifth principle is to feel your fullness, right? And so sort of just learn to introspectively um, identify when your body tells you that it's full or has had enough, um, which can only be fully respected without deprivation, right? By allowing yourself unconditional permission to eat any and all foods, right? Leah could not feel her fullness when she was, you know, given a plate of donuts, right? Because again, she would eat all the donuts. When am I going to get donuts again? I have no idea, but I'm going to eat them now, right? Versus if I'm like, here's 18 donuts. She's like, I'm going to take the one Boston cream. Thank you very much. And I'm good. Maybe I want the chocolate glazed, eh, but I'm kind of full, so I'm good, right? You can only have that introspective awareness and learn to feel and honor your fullness if you're not deprived. Right. So that's really important. I love um, this, unconditional yeah. permission. That's beautiful. Oh. With that on. Yeah, we do. <laughs> Isn't that so beautiful? I know. I love it. Um, sorry. And I just have to say too, my internet is a little glitchy sometimes. So I apologize. Anyway, the sixth um, principle is to discover the satisfaction, uh, the satisfaction factor. So that means to really just kind of reject the idea that food should not be eaten for pleasure and enjoyment. Um, and so that you can finally make, again, an informed decision, right? Introspectively and based on internal cues, rather than external factors. This is bad, so I should not eat it. Right. Versus, I'm, I'm totally craving this random like dessert food and I don't know why, but I'm just gonna eat it, right? And, and again, you know, enjoy however much of it that you want, right? And when we allow ourselves the access to food being pleasurable, you know, then we can begin to make a more introspective decision about what you know, and I, I consistently say to my, my clients, I'm like, listen, who's not supposed to be all business? It's not. It's supposed to be for fun. It's supposed to be in, it, enjoyable. That's what perpetuated our species. If back in paleolithic times or when we survived on crops, if food didn't taste good, we weren't going to do it, right? And so again, there are, you know, like certain centers of the brain that really like, you know, you are related to the pleasure and the satisfaction that we get from food. And again, it really continues, it helps us to not feel deprived. 
anyway. Um, the seventh is to honor your feelings and slash cope with your emotions with kindness. So, and this kind of circles around, you know, emotional eating or whatever, which I, I want to say emotional eating or binge eating or eating emotionally gets a really bad rap, right? That is another thing or action that is really demonized in our culture. Mm -hmm. And, you know, listen, I want to really kind of normalize it because honestly, emotional eating can be just, can be one tool in your emotional toolbox right? But it is equally important to widen your skills and coping strategies and to practice them. And again, this also allows you to make a more informed decision when you're coping with difficult emotions. So again, it's one tool. It's, it's not the only tool, right? There are times when in my life, copious amounts of pizza, they really, it really does solve my day, really solves my problem. There are also times when lots of pizza will not solve that problem on this particular day. So I need to be able to make that informed choice, right? Yes. Oh, um, <laughs> the eighth principle is to respect your body. Oh, sorry. Did I cut you off, Alicia? Go ahead. All right. Um, yeah. So the eighth principle is to respect your body really by accepting your genetic blueprint learning to make peace with your body and your size by acknowledging and accommodating its basic need for survival, right? So really treating your body with respect, even if you don't love your body, even if you haven't figured out, you know, how to do that. Um, you can always start by identifying that your body has shown up every single day of your life for you and it continues to do so despite what you put it through and it's deserving of at least its basic needs for survival, right? You can start there. Um, the ninth principle is exercise, feel the difference, right? And I always describe this as, you know, joyful movement. So when people talk about exercise, right? Like exercise sounds so just like, like a chore, right? <laughs> For many, um, in a way I kind of describe and encourage people to, um, move their body is by, you know, with, with regards to sort of do what brings you joy, do what is joyful for you. So shift your movement practice from calories burned or how many minutes you did at this, you know, um, speed on this machine to how does it feel to move your body? And that is a more fluid and dynamic approach, right? And allows for a lot more introspective introspection then, all right, well, today's, today's uh, the day that I do Stairmaster and I've got to do X number of minutes and burn X number of calories. And so that's just what I'm doing. Like, you know, um, knowing too that our bodies are, are dynamic and our, our knees are going to change it every, you know, every day. And while learning to feed our bodies in that way, we also need to learn how to move our bodies in that way, right? If it is, you know, Stairmaster day and that brings me joy and, and I just, fucking don't feel like it and I just need to do some yoga, I should be able to choose that, right? I should be able to identify that and then choose to do what works for me. And then the last principle of intuitive eating is to honor your health with gentle nutrition. And it's really important to acknowledge here that this is the last piece of the puzzle when I am counseling somebody on intuitive eating. So before I, we can even talk about nutrition and how nutrition aligns with your body and your body's needs specifically, we need to have all these other things in place, right? But again, it comes much later in people's journeys with intuitive eating. Um, and so, you know, just knowing that you have the option to align your nutrition with your body's specific needs, that is an option. But also remember, that is your choice too. You know, you are not obligated to eat in a way that aligns with your health because maybe health isn't a priority for you. Maybe the, to prioritize health is not accessible to you at this time in your life. Maybe you've got so much other shit going on, a custody battle, or you just lost your job. Like nobody's prioritizing health at that time. And that also has to be okay. Mm -hmm. Now, so yeah, and the principles kind of work in two you know, big ways. The first one is by helping cultivate kind of an attunement to the physical sensations um, that arise from within your body to get both of your biological and physiological needs met. And then it also works by removing the obstacles and the disruptors to the attunement, right? Which usually come from our mind in the form of rules and beliefs and thoughts and so 
Yeah, that's kind of uh, principles and intuitive meaning kind of in a nutshell. Could you imagine if every physician had to to do this? Like every <laughs> primary care and general practice practitioner had to like approach health or when it came to eating in this way, right? Because one of the things to me has always been, and because we're going to get ready to segue and we have, you know, we're having you on next week too, because that's part two. But, um, you know, people will say like, if I ate this food, then it's this many minutes of exercise or really good food. So I don't have to do my exercise today. Like there's always this like, validation or criminalization of either the food or lack thereof that we ate or um there's this celebration quote-unquote of a cheat day which is usually what viral for many people because then you know like everyone used to say like be a weekend warrior like don't lose your quote-unquote diet or your focus on the weekends and it's like well you've just deprived yourself for five days that's why you're (laughs) feeling this way right you know you know and one of the things i love is is this like joyful movement number nine because I love working out and I love orange fitness but for me and the other health issues that I have such as endometriosis hypothyroidism being a colostomy bag person or osteomate like that is not something that my body was handling well it was causing me to be in a constant state of cortisol release because it was Mm. constantly stressed out which is you know some of the things I think like a trainer or even your general practitioner don't look into before they, you know, flippantly say something about your diet or say something about this. Like they don't really look at every little pit of your makeup before they say things. But um, we don't know how full we are. We don't know what it means to be satisfied. Like so many of us will have that pizza and then we have that third or fourth piece and we're so uncomfortable. Right. And I have learned, obviously, through being um, an osteomate, like how quickly you could write, because, you know, half of my intestines were shut off, how quickly I got full. And I I rarely had a trigger of hunger. Like I was eating out of the the need to eat, right? And so now I'm working a lot with figuring out those cues, which I think because of a a lifetime of of really bad yo-yo dieting has completely kind of cut those sensors off. Yeah. right which is crazy like what <laughs> i know, you know? It's this idea that like your body has been asking for food for so long and because we're not relying on internal factors we're relying on external factors like i should eat this many calories i should eat this and not that it is not time to eat it is too late to eat whatever right that mm-hmm. we get our body's like well fuck, i'm not gonna ask for food if she's not gonna give it to me so shut that shit down like that's just gonna conserve energy and, you know, that is a really common response, right? Especially chronic dieting and chronic, you know, weight cycling will absolutely do that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sure. Alicia, um, do you have any questions for Kristen about um, the, the hate, the uh, um, 10 things? Um, first off, I've never had intuitive eating explained in such an easy way to wrap my head around. Oh, so, um, you're clearly in the right business. First, <laughs> um, Thanks. Because there were some that just spoke to me so much, especially like, um, um, per- permission to eat anything, feel your fullness and honor your feelings. I really resonated with that because um, my family all feel that like part of our genetic, we like all were raised to emotionally eat. So when something bad happens, we eat, you know, and I recently was thinking back and I was like, well, do we eat or are we together and like communing? Do you know what I mean? Well, I kind of like that. Um, One question I do have is how do you what's the one thing to begin to do this because like steps that's a lot yes is it something that like when you're with a client or talking to a client you figure out the first step to go into are we supposed to like jump into the deep end and hope there's not a shark there no (laughs) no it's a fantastic question and actually the principles are set up in you know kind of one two three four five you know through ten like 
we start at number one, right? And so whenever I meet a new client, I kind of figure out, yes, where they are at and I get a pretty good read on them quickly. But, you know, step one, priority one is to reject the diet mentality. Like, first of all, let's acknowledge what diet culture is, what the diet, what diet culture is telling us and how it is a crock of bullshit, right? Like the lies that we told, right? And so first we at work to identify what have been, what have they internalized um, as, you know, through diet culture's messages and how do we work to identify those and then to really kind of, you know, spin the truth, right? And, and acknowledge that like, that is not something you have to subscribe to. This is actually something that you can opt out to and there's a different way. Um, so yes, first and foremost is to reject the diet culture mentality. Um, really do a lot of education. And I, I mentioned before I worked at a partial hospitalization level of care. So that is, there's different levels of care with an aging disorder. The highest one is inpatient, you're in a hospital. The next one down is residential, you go and live there. And the next one down is partial, right? It's a day program. Um, but, you know, as, as early as partial, I was teaching my people, my clients about diet culture and fat phobia and weight stigma, because again, it starts there, right? Once you begin to acknowledge like, oh shit, I was lied to. Oh, that's actually not, there's a different, oh my God, right? Like that's when, and that's too where body acceptance starts to come from, right? Acknowledging how diet culture has formed over time and how it is presenting to us now, really making us question like, well, that's where your beliefs about your body came from. So, you know, so that's really where I encourage people to start. So we start with rejecting the diet mentality. And then again, as I mentioned, gentle nutrition, right? Like learning about nutrition specifically and how it interacts with your body. That's the last thing we do. Because again, if there are food rules and I tell you like, Hey, this is how you, you know, eat to manage glucose dysregulation in your body. Like, and you have not rejected the diet mentality. You're going to take that and that's going to be another diet. And I'm just doing you harm at that point. Right. Yeah. That first step must be one of the hardest. It's my favorite though. I love it. When people realize like, <laughs> oh my God, are you serious? But yeah, it is. With these like trendy words and phrases mm-hmm. and like their cuteness on Instagram or, <laughs> you know, whatever, you know? And um, to me, I think that's one of my biggest challenges right now is understanding that like that diet culture, mm-hmm. you know, and it's all over. I see everywhere. It. I see it every day, you know, everywhere. It's even in our medical system in our medical community too. Mm-hmm. It's just so rampant. Like, and that's like, I saw someone again on the TikTok, right? The TikTok. I say TikTok like I'm 90 on the TikTok. Um, <laughs> this woman was like, stop posting what you eat in a day. Like you're just perpetuating diet culture. Like, um, and she was specifically, she tagged Lizzo in it. And I love Lizzo, right? Like she's just recently, on vegan she's all about body positivity and loving her body and she says all the time like I don't know why you guys are obsessed with what I eat but this is what it is and it's just because I love it and I love food and I'm learning this new way to eat because I love it and it tastes good and um but I think like that is where people so many people don't realize that restricting their diets or restricting certain things and demonizing food and all of that kind of stuff really is putting them in a disordered eating pattern and even though it's not maybe one of the four extremes of eating disorders, it's still disordered eating. Um, But we've just gone on for so long that we're going to have a second episode next week. Next week. Yay. So I just want to thank you so much for joining us today. Um, We don't want you to forget listeners to tune in next week for part two of diet culture vultures. We're going to continue our conversation with Kristen about disordered eating, its lifelong effects and how it's masking itself. Diet culture is masking itself as health. Um, If you have questions for Kristen, Kristen, can you tell them where they can find you like on social media? Yes, for sure. Yeah. So I'm not on the TikTok, I've just like within the last two weeks figured out how to use it. So my business is not on the TikTok. My personal, I'm finding a lot of funny stuff happening there. But anyway, I am on uh, Instagram. I'm really accessible as well as Facebook. Not a lot of people use Facebook, but um, my Instagram is Manadnock Nutrition Services. Um, my website is manadnocknutritionservices.com. Um, and my email is hello at manadnocknutritionservices.com. Um, so any way to reach out to me is fantastic. And we will 
the um, link notes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. People can find you. So um, don't forget to review our podcast, everybody. If you can, we did post a video on how to do it on our Instagram, which you can find us at conversations with A and J, all one word, all lowercase on Instagram and Facebook. And we want you to join the conversation. If you have questions for us, um, you can email us at conversations with A and J at gmail.com. And if you're interested in my coaching business, please reach out to me at the purple dash on Instagram. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.